Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn to Judges chapter 16. Judges chapter 16. We are on our uh, last week of this study, and uh, it's an interesting study. In fact, if you've uh, if this is your first week here with us, uh, we're in a series called How to Ruin Your Life in Five Easy Steps. And I know that's kind of a weird title, but I want you to kind of think about that. The fact that really no one ever sets out to ruin their lives. No one sets out to be on a path of ruin and a path of destruction. Everyone seems to have this optimistic outlook on life, yet so many people find themselves in a place of ruin or find themselves in a season of ruin. And what we found to be true uh, and what the Word of God teaches us is that really the greatest threat to our future, the greatest threat to what God desires for your life and for my life is not some enemy out there, it's within. It's the person that I see in the mirror every day. That is the greatest threat to my future. And we said a few things about our future, realities that are true about every single one of us in this room, that our future is determined by choices. Our future is determined by choices, mainly these two choices, that we can allow God to work in us if we choose to do so. That God's desire for our lives is to work within our lives. That he has just a wealth of blessing, not just physical blessing, but spiritual blessing that he is waiting to pour into our lives to create in us a joy-filled life, a life of satisfaction in him, and he will only do that if we will allow him to do that. But we also know that, that some of the choices about our future are determined by him, that God not only works in us if we choose, God works through us if he chooses, that God can use anyone or anything to accomplish his purposes. He can use anyone or anything to give himself the glory that has deserved him. And this is what we see in the life of our character, Samson. And we've been talking a lot about Samson. Samson was announced by Jesus himself. That's pretty amazing when you think about it. He was announced to be the deliverer of, of the people of Israel in the book of Judges. In fact, he's the most famous judge. He's probably the most well-known judge, and he's the last judge of the story. And Jesus says he's going to begin to deliver the people of Israel that this is the guy that we're talking about. And Samson was put on him, or what was put on him was what's called the Nazarite vow. And this is super important for us to understand the story of Samson, that God set Samson apart with this vow. And the vow was, was very uh, simplistic in what it was doing, but it was probably hard to follow. It was these three things. Do not consume grapes. And this is out of number six, if you want to go study this later. Do not consume grapes. So it's not just alcohol. It's grape juice. It's raisins. It's grapes. It's all of that. Don't consume grapes. Secondly, don't touch anything dead. And thirdly, don't cut your hair. And what we found to be true about Samson's life is that Samson has already broken two of the three things that this vow represents. Now, it's important to understand this, that this vow is not some magical thing that gives Samson his strength. This vow is a symbol. It's a symbol of his obedience to God. It's a symbol of that. And so as we're looking at this, we see that Samson, man, every time he turns around, 
man, he's falling into ruin. That he's, he's, God's working through his life, but God is seldom working in Samson's life. You see him follow these steps, these steps of ruin. And I've got the steps here on the, on the screen. These are the four steps that we've been talking about over the last two weeks. This idea of entitlement, this idea of concealing sin, this idea of wrong friends and self-centered anger and self-serving revenge. That if you watch the life of Samson, you see all of these play out. And it's not as if this one starts in this chapter, this one starts in that chapter, but you see these all throughout his life all woven together. And today I wanted to talk about the last step. But before we do that, I, I want to just mention this. And if you're joining us for the first time this series, I, I want us to be clear on this, that Samson's life is not a model person that we should emulate. He's not the person that we want to go out and be like, okay? Samson's life offers us two things. It gives us a warning of what a ruined life looks like, a warning of someone's life that we don't want to follow, and it also gives us the promise of a truer and better deliverer that's to come. And here in the last chapter, we are going to see how Samson's life ends and ultimately, I, I believe, ends in tragedy. So if you'll look with me in verse 1, Judges chapter 16, verse 1. Samson went to Gaza and saw a harlot there and spent the night with her. Now, this is kind of interesting, all right? This is kind of abrupt, right? I mean, we've listened to Samson's story this whole time, and the, the, the story gets kind of set up every time, except till we get to Judges chapter 16. Listen to how matter-of-fact this is. Samson went to Gaza, saw a prostitute, spent the night with her. Samson's in Gaza, which is the Philistine capital, 60 miles from his home. He's in the wrong place, and he's with the wrong person, right? We see this right here. And I believe that the author is being so abrupt with this. He's, he's, he's just coming out really quick and just saying, this is, this is how it is for Samson. I think he's doing that to show this is kind of the new normal for Samson. This is not a man who's just was straying away or straying away here. This is a man who's just all out in sin, all out in sin. He's going to places he shouldn't go. He's being with people he shouldn't be with. And this is just the new normal for Samson. This is what a ruined life looks like. The story continues to unfold. If you read on those other two verses, that the Philistines find out that Samson's in Gaza and they lay a trap for him. Samson finds out about the trap and he actually leaves the city late at night and it says, it's an interesting story, we just don't have time to talk a lot about it, but it says that he goes up to the gate, this giant gate to hold the people in or to hold Samson in, and he basically lifts the gate up, carries it 40 miles up a hill. This giant gate carries it 40 miles up a hill and, and drops it off. And, and I, I wonder, like, what's the purpose of this story? It's three verses. Why do they tell us this before they get to the famous story that we all know, Samson and Delilah? Why are they telling us this? I believe it's because of this. They, the author of Judges is setting up. He's setting up really what's going to be ultimately Samson's downfall. That although God allows Samson to escape here, God is only delaying the ruin awaiting Samson. 
that this very city, the city of Gaza, at the end of the story today, Samson's going to come back to this city in chains and he will eventually die in this very city. And the irony of this little passage is that Samson's weakness is shown not in the burden of the gate, but in the gaze of the heart. You see, this is the step that Samson finds himself in, and it's a step that many people find themselves in, that if you want to ruin your life, here's what you do. Follow your heart. If you want to ruin your life, step five, follow your heart. You know, I can't tell you how often I've heard this phrase, follow your heart. I've heard this phrase for years. I've seen it in people's homes on pillows. I've seen it on coffee mugs, which I'm kind of confused how follow your heart. I mean, I like coffee, but it's kind of a weird phrase on a coffee mug. I've seen it on t-shirts. I've I've heard friends say it. I've heard parents say it to their kids. It's even in Disney movies. Now think about this, Jiminy Cricket. Listen to what he says. When you wish upon a star, makes no difference who you are. Anything your heart desires will come to you. Here's another song from the Disney movie Mulan. Though you're unsure why fight the tide, don't think so much. Let your heart decide. You must be true to your heart. That's when the heavens will part. Open your eyes. Your heart can tell you no lies. Why second guess what feels so right? Just trust your heart and you'll see the light. Follow your heart. It's a common but dangerous phrase. And many times we see it or say it without really thinking through what it is we're actually saying. What does it mean to follow your heart? You see, the heart represents, this is something that has been true since early culture, right? So back in Mesopotamia, uh, back where the cradle of civilization all occurred, where culture started, you see what they identify the heart is, that the heart is the location. It represents the location of our desires, of our emotions, and our feelings. So to follow our heart is to say, Follow our desires, follow our emotions, follow our feelings. So to say, follow your heart, another way to say that is is this, just do what feels right. And this is how Samson has lived his life and the step that brings about his ultimate downfall. And it's all kind of previewed there in those first three verses. You see this clearly. A man that's just following his desire into enemy territory with the enemy, sleeping with the enemy. Look at verse four. Afterward, it happened that he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek whose name was Delilah. And this is a story that many of us have heard maybe growing up uh, in, in Sunday school and in, in uh, children's church. This is a story that we've heard, right? The story of Samson and Delilah. I find it interesting. I was reading through and studying through this passage. Delilah, the word Delilah in the Hebrew, that word, is, it, it sounds a lot like the word for night, for darkness, And I believe that the author is is trying to make a point here. He's saying, hey, Samson's heart's desire has led him into the night. 
His heart's desire has led him into darkness, moral darkness. Why? Because the heart itself, the heart is corrupt. This is what we know to be true. In fact, Jesus says this. In Matthew 7, Jesus talks about the heart being corrupt. Verse 21, it's coming up here on the screen. For from within, out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, and foolishness. Out of our heart, these things come. All these evil things come from within and defile a man. This is Jesus talking here. And it's interesting because I think about who he's talking to when he's saying this, right? This is in the famous Sermon on the Mount. And so he's on the mountainside talking to people who don't believe in him and who aren't, aren't there for anything but probably the free food. But he's also talking to believers, right? He's talking to disciples. His own disciples are there, the 12 and many others that are following him. And he's saying, hey, your heart, your heart has the potential to flow out of it. All of this stuff. All of these things out of our hearts comes desires and feelings and emotions that are not godly. The desire for power, the desire for fame, the desire for stuff, right? Just more and more accumulation of wealth, more and more accumulation of things, the desire for lust, like this lustful desire, right? The desire for relationships that are not our marriage relationship. He talks about adulteries and fornications. This is, this is like just immorality outside of a marriage bed. He's talking about this entertain, the desire for entertainment, the things that we desire, our heart's desires, that these things will drive us down a dark path as they were doing with Samson. So look at verse five, look at what happens. He meets this woman, Delilah. And verse five says, and the lords of the Philistines came up to Delilah and said to her, entice Samson and find out where his great strength lies and by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to afflict him and every one of us will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. Now this is a lot of money. Judges 3.3 tells us there are five Philistine lords. So the, you can put your math together. There are five times 1,100, 5,500 pieces of silver. It was basically like Delilah was winning the lottery. Like this woman was gonna be one of the richest people in, in, like in the known world at this time if she gets this. This is a big win for her. So look at what she does in verse six. So Delilah said to Samson, please tell me where your great strength lies and with what you may be bound what may be bound to afflict you? And Samson said to her, if they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings, not yet dried, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. Now, this is very interesting because you would have thought by now, Samson would have learned his lesson with things like this. He's playing a game with her, right? He's, he's teasing her. And if you remember in Judges 14, he kind of did something similar, right? With those 30 companions, he's telling them a riddle. And we know how that ended. 
If you don't remember, go read it. It didn't end well for Samson, but look at where he's at. He's doing the same thing again. His woman's trying to entice him and he's playing games. So Delilah binds him up with seven fresh bow strings and tells Samson that the Philistines are upon him. So look at the end of verse nine, look what happens. But he broke the bowstrings as a strand of yarn breaks when it touches fire. So the secret of his strength was not known. Then Delilah said to Samson, look, you have mocked me and told me lies. Now please tell me what you may be bound with. So he said to her, if they bind me securely with new ropes that have never been used, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. Therefore, Delilah took new ropes and bound him with them and said to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And men were lying in wait, staying in the room, but he broke them off his arms like a thread. Now, this has now happened twice. And the question that's obvious for all the readers in the room is, why is he allowing this to continue? Like some of us are looking at Samson and thinking, this man is an idiot, right? I mean, how can he allow this to continue? Is he an idiot? Here's the thing, he's not. He's not an idiot. And the reason we know this is because he's very meticulous about things. You remember the foxes he caught back in the last chapter and how he basically devastated the economy of the Philistines? Like this is not an idiot. This is a smart man. But here's the truth about our heart and what it means when we follow our heart. The heart is foolish. The heart is foolish. How does he not figure what's going on? How does he not understand what this woman is trying to do? Because he's following his heart. Proverbs 28, 26, it's coming on the screen here. It says, he who trusts in his own heart is a fool, but whoever walks wisely will be delivered. That the only thing that Samson can see and focus on is what he desires at that moment. It's kind of like this picture right here. And this is kind of a sad picture. I kind of hope this is Photoshop because this is a very sad picture, right? What's this dog after? This dog is after his heart's desire here to catch this bird. But look at what it's gonna cost him. Man, he is full-fledged, out, committed, and focused on that. But we all look at that and say, man, that's gonna cost them, right? And here's the thing, I think about people in my own life. I think about even my life at times. Man, have we ever caught ourselves in this kind of position? I've caught myself in that kind of position before. A position of vulnerability, a position of foolishness chasing after my heart's desire. I've seen men and women, spouses, parents, man, they're they are in this exact same position, forsaking all responsibility, forsaking what God has for them and full out devoted to their heart's desire, knowing what it's gonna cost. In fact, for some of us, it's actually easier for us to see this in other people, that some of us, when we look at this picture, we can immediately start thinking about people in our circles that are literally in this position right now. And maybe you're that person. The heart is foolish. The heart is foolish, and this is what it can cost us if we're not careful. 
And this is where Samson's downfall continues. Verse 13, Delilah said to Samson, until now you have mocked me and told me lies. Tell me what you may be bound with. And he said to her, if you weave the seven locks of my head into the web of the loom. Now this is getting interesting because at this point, the Nazarite vow, he's, he's already broken two parts of it. He's not broken the cutting of his hair. And again, the power is not in the vow. It's a symbol of his obedience. The power's with Christ. The power's with God working through him. But God is using this vow to show a symbolism of obedience, right? A symbolism of his set-apartness to God. And so he says this, and you're starting to think, like I'm starting to think, he's getting really, really close, isn't he? He was talking about ropes and bowstrings, and now he's talking about his hair. He's getting close, closer to the secret of his vow, the secret of the one part that he hasn't broken yet. And the reason this is happening is because the heart is also deceitful. The heart is deceitful. It not only seeks after wrong things, it deceives you and tricks you and literally tries to put you on the edge. I think about this in the life of students and in the life of adults, but I think about this a lot with students, is this, this line back here of staying pure, right? Like this is purity over here, and this is this line, this line here of stepping over that line into impurity. And for teenagers, and, and I've seen this play out in, in the lives of students, man, they will get as close to that line as they can possibly get without crossing it. It's like, hey, if I can get this close and be okay, I'll be all right. I'll be able to make this work. But what happens every time, every time it happens, they wind up crossing the line. Why? Because that's the nature of our hearts. The nature of our heart is never stay back here. The nature of our heart is get as close to the line as possible. And the whole time we're stepping towards that line, our hearts are saying, you'll be all right there. You'll be, you'll be fine. You're, you're not crossing that, that plane or that threshold yet. And this is what's happening in Samson's life. He's getting closer and closer to the edge of revealing what his true nature is. And this happens with serious things, and this happens with, with small things as well. It's funny, a couple of days ago, I was on my phone, and I was at our house, and I was looking for... Um, I was looking for Christmas presents for my children, which if you haven't figured this out, a lot of times you can look for deals online and get really good deals online if you're, if you're looking. So I'm just flipping through my phone looking for deals. And uh, long story short, I, again, I'm looking for deals for my children, right? Christmas things for my children. Long story short, I got a $100 massage chair sitting in my house right now. You know, my wife doesn't spend money. She doesn't. She's very frugal. She's, but I, man, I like to spend money sometimes. And I literally, I'm on the phone and I'm like, I'm Brad's deals. And I'm like, hey, there's a good deal. hundred, like that's, that's 80% off. I mean, 80%, that, we got to get that, right? I don't need another chair in my house. But, but you know what it is? And this is kind of funny, but it's, it's the same way this stuff works, right? It's that deceit in our own hearts. 
Our, that deceit that, that pushes us to that edge, that pushes us into thinking our way through what our heart desires. And this is the problem with Samson, that Samson's problem wasn't that he, that he trusted, it wasn't just that he trusted Delilah. His bigger problem was that he was trusting himself. He was trusting himself thinking, I've got this under control. I can guard myself. I can keep this at bay. It's this deceit in his life. And it cost him greatly. Verse 14, so she wove it tightly with the batten of the loom and said to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he awoke from his sleep and pulled out the batten and the web from the loom. Then he said to him, then she said to him, how can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? And it came to pass, verse 16, it came to pass when she pestered him daily with her words and pressed him so that his soul was vexed to death. He told her all his heart. Verse 18, when Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called for the lords of the Philistines. Then she lulled, them, lulled him to sleep on her knees. Now, this is interesting because Samson has just now given her everything. He's just now told her everything about this. And look at where you find him. On her lap. He's told her everything, and yet he's not even the least bit concerned that he's told her this. He's, he's, in fact, he's asleep. It's because the heart is also prideful. The heart is prideful. This is the reason following our heart is so dangerous. It's because of these four things, that it's foolish, that it's deceitful, that it's corrupt, but also that it's prideful, that there's this arrogance of invincibility, this confidence in self that, that kind of drives Samson. Proverbs 16.5 says that everyone proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord, is detestable before God. And he's lived his entire life this way, this expectation that no matter what he does, God's just gonna come through. God's just gonna do what he wants him to do. And it's this unguarded thing in his life, this unguarded thing that he's allowed to be really a source of pride in his life. You see, here's the thing. He grew up with this vow. It wasn't like he made this vow when he was in his 20s. He's grown up since birth knowing this vow and he's gotten to a point where he's kind of taken this vow for granted. It doesn't mean anything to him anymore. And because of that, there's this pride that's worn, welled up within him. J.D. Greer says this, he's a pastor. He says, you cannot treat obedience to God casually and expect to experience the blessing of God continually. And this is what we see in Samson, a man that is driven by his heart and it is driving him to ruin. Verse 19, then Delilah lulled him to sleep on her knees and called for a man and, and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. The vow is now broken. Then she began to torment him, and his strength had left him. Now, we're going to come back to this story in just a second, but I want you to think about this. Samson's greatest heart's desire led him to his greatest heartache. So here's the question. What's the solution to this step. Let me ask you a question. How did you get out of such a strong team? I'm so confused. 
the hard way. Well, at least you haven't had to face divorce. I wish that were true. What does that mean? You and Tina been struggling that much? Not me and Tina, but I deal with my first wife. What? You were married to someone before Tina? For one horrible year. I got married for the wrong reasons. Then I turned around and got divorced for the wrong reasons. Man, I thought I was just following my heart. Michael, I have worked with you for five years. You've never told me that. Because I'm not proud of it. It was before I gave my life to the Lord, and man, I was just only concerned about my rights and my needs. Man, I ruined her life. But when I gave my life to God, I tried to find her, but she had already remarried. So believe me when I tell you I got a big scar. Man, God meant marriage to be for life. That's why you got to keep your vows to Catherine. You got to beg God to teach you how to be a good yeah. husband. And don't just follow your heart, man. You hire me to see But you got to leave your heart. I remember the first time I heard that phrase, lead your heart. I was at a wedding, and uh, John Oriente, he's the, the, the leader of our all-in marriage ministry here at our church. We were at a, one of those signature, uh, signature things that you sign for the bride and groom, and I was signing mine, and I, I kind of hung out because I was talking to John, and I watched him as he was writing what he was writing, and his personal message on this particular, to this particular bride and groom were those words, lead your heart. Before I'd seen the movie Fireproof, and man, I cannot think of some stronger advice to give a newly married couple, but what a powerful thing to think about. That we are not to follow our heart, that we have within us the responsibility to lead our heart, that this is what God's desire is. You know, Ezekiel 36, 26 talks, talks about God for us that are believers that he is gonna replace our heart of stone with a new heart, right? This new heart of flesh. But even in our redemptive state, we're still called to lead our hearts. So how do we do this? How do we avoid the temptations of our heart that lead to ruin. The first thing is we've got to examine our hearts. You have to examine your heart. You know, David talks about this in, the, in Psalm 139. He talks about this idea of asking God, Lord, look at my heart, examine my heart. This is something we all have to do. What's in your heart right now? What's in your heart right now? Matthew 6, 21, Jesus says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What he's saying is, hey, if you wanna know where your heart is at, look at where your treasure is at. Look at where you've invested your treasure. And treasure really, I feel like it can be summed up really in these two words, the word moments and the word money. Moments and money, moments. How do you spend your time? What do you spend your time doing? What do you spend your time thinking about? You know, it's easy for us to think, okay, well, as long as I'm not in some kind of extramarital affair, I'm okay. 
No, this is, this is what he's talking about here. He's saying, hey, there's all kinds of heart's desires that lead us astray. How do you spend your time? What do you think about? You wanna know an easy way to figure this out? This is something that's really cool. It's about the only cool thing about these phones these days is there's actually an app on my phone that tells me how much time I spend on this every week and every day, what my average time is. If you wanna know really what you spend your time thinking about, for a lot of us, it's just, what do we spend our time doing on this device? What do we spend our time doing in life? How do we spend our time? The second one is money. How do you spend your money? How do you spend your money? The way we spend our money and the way we spend our time really determines where our heart truly is at. Where are we at? Not only do we examine our heart, we, once we've examined it, once we've seen what it is that's really there, we've got to guard our hearts. The Bible tells us this, Proverbs 4.23, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. How do we guard our hearts? I'm gonna just list these and you can go look these up in a, in a little, uh, tonight or today or some other time. The word of God secures your heart. This is how we guard our hearts. The word of God secures your heart. You can look up that verse later, Psalm 119.11 and powerful. But not only the, the idea of securing our heart, that prayer focuses our heart. That these are the two things that God has given us to really guard our hearts. This idea of the word of God saying, hey, we're not gonna worry what we wanna do and what our heart's desire is. We're gonna say, well, God, what does this say about who I am? What does this say about my heart? But not just that, it's prayer. It's this idea of focusing in on what God's desires are, not our own heart desires. So we've gotta examine our heart, we've gotta guard our heart, and we've got to invest our hearts that every one of us in this room, we are on a quest to be satisfied. That is, that's the nature of humans, that we're on a quest to be satisfied and the heart, our heart is screaming out, trying to satisfy you with all of these temporal things. It's saying, hey, this entertainment is more satisfying. This stuff over here, it's more satisfying. This pursuit of fame, this relationship, this career, these things, they'll be more satisfying than Jesus. And our heart was not made for those temporal things. Our heart was not made for these temporal desires. It was made for something eternal. Paul talks about this in Philippians 3. What things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as garbage that I may gain Christ. What he's saying here is, is this little formula that for all of us, for our hearts, is that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. That when we as believers understand this, it brings ultimate satisfaction and ultimate joy in our lives. We're not having to chase our heart's desires to all these temporal things but that we're realizing that our satisfaction comes through Jesus Christ, that we are now on a lifelong warfare to kill over and over every day suicidal and deceitful heart desires that tell you that this world is more satisfying than Jesus. 
But it's us realizing, hey, God is more satisfying than all of these things we could pursue. That we have to lead our hearts because that determines our future. And it was what was, it was what, what, uh, it's what determined Samson's future. Look at the ruin of Samson. The last part of his vow is broken. In verse 20, it says, and he said, the Philistines, or she said, Delilah said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. So he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as before at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. Then the Philistines took him and put out his eyes. There's three words here that you see, words of ruin for Samson. Look at the words here. The first one is the word blind. They put out his eyes. He's now blind. It's this loss of perception, this loss of perception where those Philistines come and they take his eyes out. But you want to know the truth? Samson was blind long before he lost his eyes. He was blind long before he lost his eyes. He had been so used to living apart from God working in him that he was blinded to the fact that the Lord had even left. He didn't realize that the Spirit of God had left him, had departed him. In fact, the only thing that Samson could see were his heart's desire. And isn't it ironic that the one thing he could see that he would never gaze at anything lustfully again after this. Not only the, the idea of blind, but also the word bind. This loss of power. Verse 21, then the Philistines took him and put out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza. They bound him with bronze fetters or shackles. The great deliverer that was announced by Jesus himself was now in shackles. The things that God had done through Samson meant little to him because Samson had never allowed God to work in him. And now that power was gone. The third word is the word grind. It's this idea of a loss of peace. The last part of verse 21, the way it all kind of ends for Samson is it says, and he became a grinder in the prison. He was grinding the meal in the prison which is kind of ironic when you think about it because he, he kind of set their economy back with the foxes, but now he's working in that same grind, rebuilding their economy. And here's the, the sad part. He's doing the work of an animal. He's doing the work of an animal. So you can imagine Samson at the bottom of this pit grinding this stuff out. And there's no peace. There's no peace in his life. And this is where we find Samson. Verse 22, it's a great verse. However, the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaven. Now we'll come back to this, so just stay there. But this is where we find Samson. He's there in the grind. He's there, blind, bind, grind. That's his life. That's where he's at. And so the, the, the Philistines decide to throw a party. They decide to throw basically a giant feast really for the capture of Samson. And this is sometime later. They decide to throw this party celebrating their victor over, victory over Samson in Dagon's temple. It's a, it's a God that they serve there. And so they're going to do this and all the Philistine leaders, because he's there in Gaza, all of the Philistine leaders, 3,000 men are in this temple 
And they bring Samson out and they literally stand him between two pillars. He is in this place of ruin. He's taken all these steps of ruin. Now he's standing in his ruin. That's what, that's what our steps do. Our steps will take us to a place where all we can do is now stand. And he is standing in his ruin. He is standing bound, blind, and in darkness. And this is where we find Samson. Verse 28, then Samson called to the Lord saying, O Lord God, remember me, I pray. Strengthen me, I pray. Just this once, O God, that I may with one blow take vengeance on the Philistines for my two eyes. That's literally just like a, a head palm or face palm, right? He's still focused. If you look here, he's focused again on revenge. Not for the glory of your name, God, but for my two eyes, let me have power again. And Samson took hold of the two middle pillars which supported the temple and he braced himself against them, one on his right and the other on his left. Then Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. And he pushed with all his might and the temple fell on the Lord's and on all the people who were in it. So the dead that he killed at his death were more than he had killed in his life. And his brothers and all his father's household came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eshtal in the tomb of his father, Manoah. He had judged Israel 20 years. Now, this is not a story that has a real happy ending. Like, it, it does in some ways because God worked through him to kill more people in Samson's life that day or in his death than he had his entire life. And that was part of delivering the people, right? Was eliminating the Philistines. So there's greatness there, but it's like, man, you look at the story of Samson and you think of the people that read this story for years, including us reading this now, the people of Israel, they read this story and they get to the end and you think, man, what a tragedy. What a tragedy that Samson lived. The greatest judge, and this is how he ends. The story of Samson, like I said for, for weeks now, the story of Samson is more than just giving us a warning of a ruined life. It's giving us the promise of a better deliverer to come. That 1,100 years later, just like Samson, Jesus is gonna be born miraculously. He's gonna have incredible strength over demons and disease that just like Samson, Jesus is betrayed by someone who acted like his friend. Just like Samson, he was chained and tortured and put on display to be publicly mocked. Just like Samson, that through his death, he will defeat his enemies. But unlike Samson, Jesus was not put into chains for his sin, he was put into chains for our sin. That just like Samson, Samson, Jesus, Samson was made weak through his own sin while Jesus, the mighty God, voluntarily became weak to save us from sin. Samson was buried with his father, but Jesus is alive, reigning at the right hand of his father. Samson judges Israel for 20 years, but Jesus judges the entire world for eternity and he is the ultimate deliverer that what Samson may have begun, Jesus has completed. Samson is the selfish, entitled, and lawless deliverer that executes revenge and violence while Jesus is the selfless, eternal, and flawless deliverer that freely dispenses justice and mercy. 
And in Samson's darkest hour, blinded, bound, and grinding at the meal, at his darkest hour with no peace and no perception and no power, I love verse 22. It says, the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaven. That God's mercy, like Samson's hair, grows new. His mercies persist even where sin has tried to cut them away. God's mercy continues. And here's the, here's the whole story of Samson. If you wanna sum it up, this is how we respond. You can either stand in ruin like Samson or you can take a different kind of step. Not a step to destruction, not a step to ruin. You can step into deliverance through Jesus Christ. You know, the last few weeks, I've been thinking a lot about just this idea of ruin. And I think about pastors. I think about, I was watching a series the other day, Stepping Up. It's a men's series. We've done it here in the church. I was watching pastor after pastor come on this video and they were talking about just being a man and being a godly person, a man of integrity. And I'm literally watching this and out of the video of like seven pastors, four of them have utterly wrecked and ruined their lives. Like one is now an atheist, two have lost their church because of immorality in their church or immorality within them. And I think about that and I think, man, what a staggering and sobering thing to think about. That none of us are are, are immune to ruin. None of us are in a place where we're just sitting back, that, that there's this, uh, that an unguarded strength is actually a double weakness. And we have a responsibility to live a life staying away from these steps of ruin, staying away from modeling our lives like Samson where God might work through us, but he's not working in us. But God wants us to step out of that. But for some of you, maybe you're in a place of ruin. Maybe you're standing between two pillars and, and, and you're standing in your ruin for the mistakes you've made, for the places you've been. Man, God wants you to take another step, not a step of ruin. He wants you to take a step into deliverance, recognizing that, yeah, wait, while Samson may be flawed, Jesus is not. And he is asking, he is inviting us today to step into his deliverance. So I'm gonna ask you if you would to bow your heads and close your eyes. Go ahead and stand to your feet. We're gonna have a moment here of response and a moment here to give you an opportunity to pray, to talk to God. And you can do that standing there at your seat. You can do that here at the stage. This is kind of like a, a, an altar for us, an opportunity to, to come and kneel. I'll be here at the front. Pastor Gary will also be here at the front. We just wanna encourage you, just do what God would have you do in these moments. Step into deliverance as we sing.